morning, Soul Time, to the NK News and NK Pro subscribers listening and watching from around the world. And thank you for joining us on this very special Zoom call, which is a joint Zoom briefing for NK Pro subscribers and as also a YouTube live stream. And we'll also be recording this for release later today as this week's NK News uh, podcast episode. It is Tuesday, the 12th of January, 2021, and today's discussion will be all about the 8th Congress of the Korean Workers' Party, which was just held in Pyongyang. NK Pro subscribers will have the added benefit and privilege of asking questions of our expert panelists, so uh, feel free to start entering them as soon as you like. I will be reading them later on. I will not read out the names of questioners, so feel free to ask whatever you want uh, in full anonymity. Uh, my name, by the way, is Jacko Swetslut, and I host the weekly NK News podcast, and I have the pleasure of moderating today's discussion. In a moment, I will turn over to NK News and NK Pro and Career Risk Group founder and CEO Chad O'Carroll, he will give us up to six minutes of introductory remarks on the overall purpose and significance of the Congress, accompanied by a PowerPoint deck. Then we'll move on to Ankit Panda, who is the Stanton Senior Fellow in the Nuclear Policy Program at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and author of Kim Jong-un and the Bomb who will talk for five to six minutes on military plans under the microscope. Our third speaker, Seoul-based correspondent at NK News, Jongmin Kim, will walk us through leadership changes, economic announcements, and inter-Korean outlook in five to six minutes. And lastly, Kumbin University professor and director at NK News, Dr. Andre Lankov, will sum up what this all means for the future of DPRK-US relations in six minutes or less. I'm repeating the six minute maximum time for all speakers for emphasis uh, and will interrupt if necessary at six minutes with a hard stop because we want to have lots of time left over for questions at the end from me and questions from our international audience members. If at any time you want to ask a question, please type it into the Q&A window and I will select some of them at time uh, at random and appropriate times and ask them. Uh, this call will wrap up one hour from now and a reminder, that this is an on-the-record event uh, that will be recorded and released later on as a podcast, uh, but the names of questioners will not be revealed. Okay, take it away, Chad Carroll. Hi, good morning, uh, everybody. Uh, no PowerPoint, actually, um, um, but I'm going to just start by giving you an overview of Congress and why this matters. So uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, the Congress is basically the uh, highest ruling organ of the Workers' Party of Korea. Uh, and as a result, it's a really useful event for North Korea watchers like us to detect emerging leadership trends, overarching state goals, et cetera. It's the top structure in North Korea for evaluating policy implementation, uh, discussing new initiatives, shuffling personnel, validating and also even augmenting the uh, role of the supreme leader. And because of this, we've seen a lot of uh, really long-term consequences emerge from prior Congresses. So in the 50s and 60s, you had some big purges which came out. Uh, 1970, we had a requirement for citizens to wear the Kim Il-sung lapel badge. Uh, Kim Jong-il was introduced in 1980, um, and uh, there was a five-year economic plan agreed in 2016. Now, these Congresses are meant to happen every five years, but as some of you know, there was a huge gap, 36 years from the 1980 Congress to 2016. Um, you got to remember, though, at that time, there was a lot of difficulty in North Korea, the collapse of socialism throughout much of the world, famine, the death of Kim Il-sung, the death of Kim Jong-il. Um, but following that May 2016 uh, Congress, we then had four and a half years from then to now, um, which again doesn't quite follow this five-year requirement that uh, there has long meant to be. So why is a Congress happening now? Well, looking at the context, 2020 was, um, as many of you know, the hardest year for Kim Jong-un on record. Chronic sanctions impacts, uh, the full closure of borders, uh, more or less due to COVID-19, uh, terrible weather, natural disasters, growing international uncertainty. Basically, it, it all combined to make uh, North Korea's existing problems even more difficult um, than they normally are. So Kim Jong-un last August convened uh, a meeting and basically uh, set in train the motion for the Eighth Party Congress. And it was 
introduced in the context of a reflection on how economic policymaking had really failed badly. Uh, last August, there was a review of the five-year economic plan from the 2016 Congress, and the um, Kim Jong-un and his colleagues determined that the economy had not improved due to both internal and external reasons. Um, they specifically said that the planned attainment of the in in improved economy had, quote, seriously delayed, was seriously delayed, and the people's living standard had not improved remarkably. Now, given North Korea's long had bad economic problems, why, why does this matter? Well, if you rewind back to Kim Jong-un's first speech in April 2012, he, quote, he said uh, uh, that the party would uh, commit to, quote, ensure that the people will never have to tighten their belts again. And yet here we are uh, last year with a review of economic performance and uh, a admission that things had not gone to plan. So the Eighth Party Congress was being teed up effectively with an economic uh, policy focus to look at performance, what went wrong, and also to determine a new economic plan. So we went into this Congress really expecting the economy to be the key subject. There have, however, been many other subjects brought up, and we're about to discuss them, but I'll just give you a very, very quick top-line overview on foreign policy. Uh, we've seen the first clear indications about where Pyongyang sees its relationship with uh, uh, the new Biden administration. The U.S. was described as, quote, the biggest main enemy and state media effectively said nothing is going to change regardless of who leads the white house on nuclear weapons lots of modernization programs uh, revealed despite kim jong-un's commitment to denuclearization in singapore with south korea um, despite hopes in seoul that there would be an olive branch we've actually seen north korea issue complaints about uh, modernization programs forthcoming joint exercises on the economy, a new five-year economic plan, but no details of anything that, no game-changer policies that stand any chance of actually turning around this growing economic delay, decay. Um, leadership, more promotions for Kim Jong-un, his sister seemingly having a, 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 a losing a title. Um, lots and lots to dive into. Um, I'll just end by saying that less, less than two weeks left before Biden is expected to be inaugurated, the party congress is effectively setting the scene for what's likely to be a really quite bumpy several years ahead. And with that, I will pass over to Ankit to break down some of these uh, nuclear developments. Great. Well, thank you very much, Chad, uh, for that overview. Uh, I will get right into it to observe the strict time limit today. Um, so to my ear, uh, or at least to my eyes, when I first read the comprehensive work report uh, released on the fourth day of the party Congress, which contains a lot of what I'm about to talk about on the military front and, and specifically with regards to nuclear modernization, I sort of thought back to the last time we'd seen a document or speech um, or report out of North Korea uh, of this magnitude, talking about nuclear forces, not only in a non-euphemistic way, uh, to my to my ear, this really did resemble something like um, Russian President Vladimir Putin addressing the Russian Federal Assembly. Uh, Kim Jong-un was very much talking about his nuclear modernization plans uh, for the next five-year period and also reviewing the work that had been done under the Seventh um, Party Congress in a very matter-of-fact manner. Uh, so, of course, this is not very surprising. Um, we have already, I think, seen a turn in North Korea after the Hanoi summit in particular, um, best crystallized perhaps in Kim's remarks at the 14th Supreme People's Assembly in uh, April 2019 and at the uh, end of 2019 at the fifth plenary of the uh, seventh Central Committee of the Workers' Party as well. Kim Jong-un delivered important statements, including renouncing his uh, moratorium from 2018 on long-range missile and nuclear testing, as well as promising the world a new strategic weapon, which he, of course, unveiled at the October 2020 military parade. Uh, so let me just cut now to um, why Kim Jong-un announced some of the things that he did. But before we get there, what did he announce? Uh, so the top line for me, at least, is the very explicit mention of tactical nuclear weapons. This is not something that I find surprising uh, in terms of North Korea's interest, given what we know about the ways in which North Korea has operationalized its nuclear strategy. But it certainly is a concerning development. It could, among other things, indicate a return to nuclear testing. North Korea has conducted six nuclear tests to date, and while those tests may be sufficient for the kinds of weapons design information that would be necessary to simply move ahead and manufacture tactical nuclear weapons, Kim may see some need to test. Of course, this has other considerations at hand, including relations with China and Russia, uh, who would not necessarily welcome a return to nuclear testing. 
Beyond tactical nuclear weapons, we saw a focus on new types of payloads for ballistic missiles. Uh, Kim Jong-un's uh, work report explicitly included mention of hypersonic boost glide vehicles, which are, of course, a very uh, trendy topic, so to speak, in the world of security studies. Uh, people love to talk about these things around the world. So certainly something that would grab headlines, uh, but also multiple reentry vehicles, uh, which uh, a lot of analysts have been suggesting that North Korea would go for in some time. And we just heard from Chad about the economic constraints in North Korea. And when you're determined to practice nuclear deterrence under economic constraints, it makes more sense to put multiple warheads on a single missile rather than manufacture a whole bunch of missiles with a single warhead. Uh, the Soviet Union figured that out quite early into the Cold War. And the same logic will hold in North Korea if Kim Jong-un does proceed to follow through on some of these plans. Without getting into too much detail, uh, we heard about a new intermediate range cruise missile. I personally have no idea what system this might be referring to, but it is a system that was uh, appropriately translated. First of all, we know that they meant intermediate range. So this would be a materially new type of system that we may see tested in the near future. Kim Jong-un mentioned the Naval Nuclear Propulsion Program in North Korea, uh, which uh, he indicated would be continued and possibly result in some kind of naval nuclear reactor. Of all the announcements that were made, this one personally, I think, is probably less likely to manifest in the near future. He discussed plans for the modernization of a submarine fleet, uh, possibly describing the July 2019 modified Romeo-class submarine that he uh, revealed not long after the failure of the Hanoi summit. He talked about a 15,000 kilometer range intercontinental range ballistic missile. Uh, they, this may have been referring to the large 11 axle intercontinental range ballistic missile we saw paraded at the end of the October 2020 parade. Uh, but 15,000 kilometers is a little bit of a strange limit. Uh, North Korea's existing missiles have been able to range the entirety of the United States. Uh, but a range without a payload is fairly meaningless. So I suspect this may have more to do with things like multiple reentry vehicles, countermeasures to defeat ballistic missile defense, uh, but generally indicates an interest in North Korea in continuing to build larger and larger missiles. Uh, two final worthy uh, items of note, um, Kim Jong-un expressed an interest in pursuing a new unmanned aerial system uh, for reconnaissance, specifically with a range of 500 kilometers. Uh, this could be used in peacetime and crisis and during an actual conflict to evaluate um, the condition of the battlefield, for instance. Uh, and finally, uh, there was a call for military reconnaissance satellites. Uh, we've been hearing things about satellites on and off in North Korea since 2017, and a satellite launch may be a graduated option. Now, just to quickly reflect on the political context before uh, passing the baton uh, to the next speaker, of course, uh, a new administration is around the corner here in the United States, and uh, a lot of analysts have noted the patterns, at least, that we saw with the Obama administration and the Trump administration, both of whom are greeted into office by uh, varying demonstrations of capability by North Korea. And this has historically been something that North Korea uses to set the table for a new round of negotiations. A lot of what I just described, I think, qualitatively will represent major milestones in North Korea's ongoing quest to practice nuclear deterrence against the United States. And this is something that I'm, I fully suspect um, incoming members of the Biden administration will fully appreciate. Uh, the message that North Korea is effectively sending, and it determines uh, you know, we have to wait and see if this is a credible message, is that if the Biden administration takes no early action in terms of revising the unchanging U.S. negotiating position, which has uh, to date demanded complete, verifiable, and irreversible dismantlement of North Korea's program before any sanctions relief can be provided, North Korea will likely push ahead and begin to test some of these systems. Uh, there will be a return to a testing campaign, in other words. Uh, a lot of what we saw laid out uh, reminds me of the agenda that was set out back in March 2013 when Kim Jong-un first declared his Pyongyang line, which manifested in a four-year testing campaign. There and, uh, and, so and I will uh, stop talking there, Jacko, and pass it off to Jong-un. Thanks. Jong-un, thank you. Take us away, Jong-un. Hi, I'll be explaining the economic outlook, inter-Korean prospects, and also briefly about leadership. Kim Jong-un, uh, during the party congress, declared that the, the failure of the last five-year economic strategy in almost all sectors, they blame natural disasters, sanctions, and ongoing COVID-19-related risks, which are all not the fault of the party, um, they claim. And notably admitted were the state's inability to complete key construction goals, such as Wonsan Karma tourist zone, which was already uh, with, with a la lapsed deadline in April, and also Pyongyang General Hospital, which was um, supposed to be done by October. So what's the plan now, the new five-year economic plan, which is technically different from strategy? They are uh, not much details yet. Um, 
unfortunately, but they have been uh, stressing more self-sufficiency so far. They say that they are reflecting domestic demands to decrease dependence on imports, considering the realistic possibilities, which I presume that they are referring to long-term um, hardships like COVID-19 border closure or sanctions. Um, there was a renewed focus on improving and expanding the range of consumer goods as well. But um, the only details that came out were on low-hanging fruits about developing Kimgang tourist area for the next five years, building um, 50,000 houses in Pyongyang, 10,000 per year, building 25,000 houses in the mining town of Kumdok, which was recently hit by typhoon. And these are relatively unambitious goals, but there were very little detail about plans in state-led sectors like metal, chemical, and machinery. Um, they have not secured any sanctions relief, and there wasn't any much focus on improving foreign relations in the coming future. Um, and they are not pursuing major reforms, so it's very unclear how the North can realistically make substantial improvement in years ahead. Um, they implied more market crackdowns following last year's plenum address. Kim Jong-un renewed calls for restoring state's commercial sector, hinting further at anti-market measures. Um, and moving on to inter-Korean outlook, Kim Jong-un declared that the state of inter-Korean relations reverted back to the times when Seoul and Pyongyang had never signed the milestone Panmunjom Declaration. Um, it's, uh, he slammed Seoul for continuing joint drills with the U.S. and beefing up its own military capabilities, acquiring high-end military equipment as well. Kim criticized the South for, on the other hand, rather focusing on AKA non-fundamental inter-Korean issues like COVID-19 health cooperation and joint tourism projects. Um, side note, party Congress, when um, they were discussing Mount Kimgang, they did not detail anything about South Korean assets being there, uh, but they did leave the door crack open. They stressed that the future of inter-Korean relations largely depends on South Korea's behavior going forward. And uh, Moon Jae-in uh, delivered a New Year's address. He remained pretty low-key compared to last year when he pitched independent tourism um, or Kimgang project. But this year, only specific pitch was COVID-19. But it's unclear if North Korea will consider um, taking that because they already said that they are not interested. Um, moving on to leadership, uh, just very briefly, Kim Jong-un was promoted to general secretary um, from previously being Workers' Party of Korea chairman, it seems. Uh, it's a symbolic move, uh, Kim Jong-un taking on the position that was left um, vacant after Kim Jong-il died. And it was it has been touted as an eternal general secretary. Uh, it seems it's a, like I said, it's a symbolic move showing or boasting that Kim Jong-un is on par with the uh, level of legitimacy that the late leaders had. Um, some of the important people that uh, that showed up in the leadership reshuffle were Cho Young-won, Kim Yo-jong, and other people. Cho Young-won is uh, Kim Jong-un, one of Kim Jong-un's closest aides, and um, it was a major promotion for him. He replaced Park Bong-ju as Polit Politburo Presidium, which is uh, the country's most powerful, one of most powerful uh, decision-making body. Uh, Kim Yo-jong, uh, many of the people, including South Korea's NIS, they were thinking that she would become a full member of the Politburo, but she isn't even in the alt um, alternate member, alternative member of the Politburo. But I don't think we can see it as Kim Yo-jong being purged. We can still see her, see her seated behind Kim Jong-un um, in the second row in the center. Um, for Pekdu bloodline people, there were precedents when um, they were demoted in the party position, but when they came back. Um, so we can... Uh, we have to wait and see whether or not Kim Yo-jong continues to support Kim Jong-un um, closely following him around. There were some uh, demotions and promotions in foreign affairs elites and military, um, but I'll leave it for now. Um, Jacko, if you have time to ask me more questions on that, please. Thank you very much, Jong-min. And we turn now for our final speaker of the four panelists to uh, Dr. Andrei Lankov. Well, so... Um basically about what was said about the relations with uh, the United States, I would say nothing specially new. Uh, there was a great deal of news at the Congress, uh, but what they said about their attitude to the United States was largely predictable and basically followed the expected line. Actually, what was basically said? They said that the United States has ever been and will probably ever be the real bad wolf. Or as they put it, 
the United States, they said, is their largest and main enemy. It's a part of the traditional North Korean formula. Every North Korean schoolboy and schoolgirl learning at the age of seven. Our country is great. We have the world's best leader. And the, the evilest country of the world is the United States, full of all evil people dreaming about crushing, exploiting, destroying everybody. Uh, nothing new. By the way, we should not take it too seriously because this anti-American rhetoric can easily be switched off uh, because it does not necessarily reflect the actual vision of the world by the North Korean elite, but it's obligatory for the common people. And it was repeated. Uh, then it was said that it does not matter who is in power, whoever is in power, the U.S. policy towards North Korea is not going to change. It was another message. And then we had a great shopping list of all possible military developments, which have basically already discussed by Ankit Panda in great detail. It was quite interesting uh, in itself, but it was presented largely as a message to the United States. What does it all mean? Well, as I have said, it's just another step on the way to escalation North Koreans are likely to follow in the near future. What's happened? They wanted Donald Trump to be elected. They hoped he would be elected. And now they have to deal with Joe Biden administration. Their economic situation is bad. And they sort of admit that one of the major, well, they do admit openly, that one of the major reasons of their problem is sanctions. The international sanctions, which began at earnest only around 2017. And they understand that without removal of the sanctions, they can not revive the economy. And probably if they remain under sanctions, things will go from bad to worse. So the major goal of their diplomacy is to negotiate the relaxation or removal of the UN Security Council sanctions. Uh, problem is that they need US support. They need Americans to change their attitude. And they, they hope to negotiate something with Donald Trump, not denuclearization. Please keep in mind, denuclearization of North Korea will never, ever happen. North Korea is a nuclear power. No amount of promises of economic benefits, no amount of pressure will change the North Korean attitude. They wanted a deal which probably would include some restrictions, some limitations of their nuclear potential, but they will keep something. It's non-negotiable. If it means that one million farmers will starve to death, well, one million farmers in distant parts of North Korea will starve to death and they will remain nuclear, period. Having said that, uh, basically, they were willing to negotiate some deal with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is gone. And Joe Biden, first of all, it's not clear whether he is going to negotiate because in his last debate with Donald Trump, he made sort of special point uh, that, you know, uh, Donald Trump was wrong with talking with, as he said, Sark, whereas he described the great leader son of the nation, Kim Jong-un. And uh, definitely North Korea is not very high on the agenda of the Biden administration. What to do? They are obviously doing what they have always done. If you are in such situation, you have to manufacture a crisis, drive tensions high, remind Joe Biden that you do exist, and that if he pretends that North Korea doesn't exist, it's not going to change anything, and North Koreans will keep developing better and more dangerous weapons. In expectations that if they escalate, Sooner or later, Americans will blink and will realize that their strategic patience is just means sitting and looking how North Koreans having better missiles, missiles capable of penetrating American missile defenses and so on. And Americans will come to negotiate and North Koreans will make few steps back in exchange for sanctions relief. So now we have this list. If it doesn't help, probably we'll see some demonstrations which will go up and up and up, perhaps up to the missile launches and nuclear tests. Now they basically said what they were going to do 
with, well, what they have at their disposal or likely to have soon, and then they will probably start showing real things. Of course, there is an important caveat that is China. They are unusual, they have always been dependent on China. It almost never translated, dependence on China, almost never translated into the Chinese influence on their policy. China, on paper, controls the economy and has very little say on their politics. But it's possible that this time China will basically try to block some of more dangerous, more provocational moves because China doesn't want it. So basically, it's what we should expect. It's just another way or it looks menacing, but what they actually want, negotiations. And they want to blackmail Americans into the negotiation table. And it's another step, and we are going to see a lot of more steps on this road in near future. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Dr. Lankov. Well, thank you to all of our four speakers. Uh, we have a little bit over 30 minutes left, so we're going to move into the question and answer portion now. Uh, I'll kick that off with a few questions of my own. Once again, I want to encourage all of our listeners, and there are currently uh, over 190 of them around the world, all of our listeners to uh, write any questions that you may have into the Q&A box in the Zoom window, and I will relay as many of them as I can to the speakers. We already have quite a growing list of questions um, at the moment. I will not read out the questioners' names, so you can uh, ask them uh, freely and anonymously. Uh, even though this will be the answers will be recorded and released as a podcast episode, the questions will be anonymous. Uh, so let's get started with um, Chad. Why why do you think that North Korea is still being uh, taking such a hard line with South Korea, expecting South Korea to uh, change before North Korea will change, when South Korea has been nothing but uh, accommodating under the Moon administration? Well, it has on the one hand, but. You've also got to bear in mind South Korea has been focusing, on the other hand, a lot into modernization of its military. Uh, and this may be motivated by an, an effort to uh, be able to credibly persuade the US that OPCON transfer is something that um, it has the means to, to do. And, you know, it will be, it will have the technology to, to do that well. But basically, we've, we, you know, if you rewind back to December 2018, uh, there was that scene when the guard posts were being removed from parts of the DMZ. That very week, South Korea's MND announced the largest ever increase in its military budget in history. Um, and so there, there, are, there are two aspects of what South Korea has been doing, reaching out and this peace offensive to, to North Korea, but at the same time, um, significantly developing its um, military modernization plans, which happens to be, I've been told, a response to what happened in 2016 and 2017 when there was lots of missile testing. That triggered a response in the South Korean military to increase um, planning. And so you have a kind of contradiction uh, and North Korea basically wants to see the end of that. So it's basically saying, Seoul, if you want to talk to us, stop modernizing stop your exercises and uh you know create create some divide between your military plans and those of the us uh, Chad, very briefly was there any mention made at all uh, at the conference of uh, the south korean government's recent law to stop leafleting by private citizens groups into north korea nothing nothing mm -hmm. at all all right a uh, question for ankit ankit i uh as a non-weapons expert, I sometimes need a reminder about what the difference is between a tactical nuclear weapon and a strategic nuclear weapon. Uh, in 25 words or less, what is that, please, Ankit? Well, some of us think all nuclear weapons are strategic, uh, but this is a debate that uh, we don't need to get into right here. Um, but in, in general terms, when, when somebody talks about tactical nuclear weapons, generally what this means is a delivery system, first of all, that covers a shorter range primarily designed to uh, for battlefield use, uh, right? So an example of this is Pakistan, uh, one of the most famous current day users of these kinds of weapons, has a 70 kilometer range rocket artillery system tipped with a nuclear warhead. Um, and so range is one component. And the other is, generally speaking, tactical nuclear weapons will have a lower yield than their strategic counterparts. Uh, so, but again, lower yield uh, is a controversial term as well. In the United States, for instance, 
what we consider to be tactical today uh, may have a higher yield than the weapons that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So these definitions are are fluid. Uh, but in, in North Korea, certainly, I think um, we don't have a clear indicator of what kinds of yields the North Koreans are thinking about in a tactical context. Uh, but certainly, if we look back at the 2019 and 2020 testing campaigns, and uh, you know, you look at the promotion of someone like Ri Pyeongchol for his role in that campaign, uh, you actually see quite a few systems that would make fairly good delivery systems uh, for these kinds of tactical nuclear weapons if North Korea does decide to go down this route. Ankit, in terms of the shorter range of a tactical nuclear weapon, does that mean in practice that North Korean tactical weapon, tactical nuclear weapons would only be useful on and in the near vicinity of the Korean Peninsula? That would be my guess. Um, primarily, I think these weapons would be reserved for military targets. Uh, they would fill out this area of North Korea's nuclear strategy that I think um, is, is uh, you know, they have a strategy that focuses on reserving the right to use nuclear weapons first to degrade the ability of the U.S.-South Korea alliance to operate freely and prosecute an invasion of North Korean territory. And so these kinds of weapons can have tremendous utility there against uh, USFK command and control nodes, missile defense installations, uh, other facilities uh, in, in a similar vein, ports. Um, so this, I think, uh, of course, there are other implications here that I briefly mentioned, including uh, the ways in which North Korea would have to modify its command and control of its nuclear forces internally, which could lead to uh, a more dangerous posture. I can get into that if there's interest, uh, but uh, certainly I think this is the most significant shift in, in North Korea's overall nuclear posture uh, since they introduced their ICBM capability back in July 2017. I'm going to tie in one of the questions from our viewers. We really have quite a growing list here. Uh, I may have to scrap my own questioning part, but one of the, uh, the viewers said, uh, the, you mentioned tactical nuclear weapons, that it's um, of great concern, not only that it increases the possibility of the use of nuclear weapons, but because of safety and security concerns within North Korea. What do you think of the likelihood of Pakistan having given some help in this area? Well, that's a terrific question. Um, I really hesitate to speculate on that since uh, I just don't have any information either way to confirm or deny it. Uh, what I will say is that the Pakistani tactical nuclear weapon that I referenced uh, is designed to be mated with a 300 millimeter multiple rocket launch system. Uh, so 300 millimeter in North Korea, of course, would correspond to a system like uh, what the U.S. intelligence community calls the KN-09, which is a, a multiple rocket launch system. The three systems that uh, got Ri Pyeongchol his big promotion uh, in, in uh, last year, the KN-23, KN-24, and the KN-25, are all significantly larger systems. So the largest, uh, uh, the smallest of those three systems, the KN-25, has a largest diameter near the payload section of around 600 millimeters. This, of course, is still larger than any physical uh, nuclear weapons design we've seen in North Korea. Here I'm referencing the compact fission warhead they showed in March 2016 uh, and the thermonuclear device they first showed in September 2017. Uh, it is possible that the primary of that thermonuclear device could be small enough to fit on one of these systems. But again, I think uh, we just simply need to uh, get a little bit more information. If the North Koreans do decide that this is where they'll pressure the Biden administration, though, I would anticipate that we may, for instance, see Kim Jong-un inspecting one of these weapons, uh, a, a campaign to clearly indicate to us that this is a real capability that will be tested and validated if the United States doesn't take measures. Uh, Jong-min, we have a, a question for you from one of our listeners there. Since the door seems left open for the South to offer something, despite all the criticism and indication from the North that they are not interested in the South's current offers, what would you recommend the South offers instead? Or in other words, what can help bridge the divide at this point in time? It seems that Moon Jae-in administration already made a decision to continue what they have been doing about the uh, public health cooperation offers and also continuing to uh, emphasize the value of inter-Korean dialogue. Moon Jae-in yesterday said that he's willing to meet Kim Jong-un anytime, anywhere, even if it's through untacked measures, considering how North Korea is continuously very paranoid about COVID-19 risk. It's very difficult for South Korea to do anything um, that North Korea is asking at the moment because um, it's, uh, it's to ditch USRK alliance, basically, what North Korea is asking. Um, Moon Jae-in seems to already have made a decision um, not to do that. He's, he 
emphasized strengthening cooperation with Biden administration when he was talking about North Korea issues yesterday. And he said that he will still pay last ditch effort to resume stalled DPRK US inter Korean talks. It seems um, overall, North Korea did use very vague message to talk about hostile South Korean policies, similar to the description of the US intent. Uh, but it does seem that goal seems to be to encourage Seoul to become much more bold in inter-Korean policy, as well as not side with the U.S. as much as they did before. But for Moon, this is a very tall order. He can't do that at the moment because North Korea is not the only issue that he has to deal with. He has the cost-sharing deal ongoing, and he also has to do this conditional trans uh, opcon transfer that was also stalled between uh, Trump and Moon. And Biden is more of a traditional diplomacy person. He values alliance. It's a good opportunity for Moon to make a way with these issues as well. So I guess my advice, not not advice, if I, I recommend South Korea, I think, to manage risk at the moment. They have a lot of things they have to do until Moon's term is over in May tw- um, 2022. Um, they can't do everything. They can't bring complete denuclearization of North Korea. Um, it would be very hard to resume any leader level talks with Kim Jong-un at the moment unless vaccines are distributed into North Korea. Um, it seems what they can do is continue showing that they are very, very serious about uh, providing security guarantee that North Korea has been wanting. I know South Korea touts the term peace a lot, but for North Korea, peace basically means security guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from South Korea side, what they can do is uh, maybe reiterate the importance of end of war declaration rather than um, anything else, because I know it's a symbolic move as well, but it can be a start of start of something. It, it could lead to some sort of discussion about security guarantee for North Korea that they want. Um, North Korea is basically saying that, OK, we are not interested in the small stuff and the soft stuff like the like some public health assistance or tourism. So I think Seoul should be uh, should show Pyongyang that they are indeed serious about mediating between Biden and Kim as well about these more serious issues. Uh, and Jongmin, also a quick follow-up there. We're getting quite a few questions about uh, Kim Yo-jong's demotion. Uh, she was linked last year to the uh, the destruction of the, uh, the inter-Korean liaison office and some strong messages towards South Korea. Uh, what could you give any comments on the likely messaging or signaling of her demotion for foreign policy or inter-Korean relations more specifically, uh, and any speculation of what could have caused her apparent demotion or sidelining? I don't think it's a signaling to the outside world if the signaling is not clear enough. As of now, I think that is not of a clear sign. Everybody is unsure um, why Kim Yo-jong was demoted. There are some... um, debates about the reason some people are saying that Kim Yo-jong was demoted, um, being responsible for uh, taking it too far with the inter-Korean relations. But um, we can't really... we can't really say for now we have to see more um, whether or not she was demoted because of the failure, because she still seems to be positioned seated um, right next to Choi won uh, who rose in prominence recently. Um, about uh, Kim Yo-jong's demotion, I think it's also related to other leadership reshuffles that I I didn't have time to mention mm-hmm. some of the foreign affairs elites. They were demoted as well. This follows Ryong Ho, uh, the f- previous foreign minister, uh, being fired last year um, from his post. Um, Choi Son Hee this time, who was also one of the core members of um, handling diplomacy with the Trump administration. She used to be the uh, Workers' Party of Korea Central committee a full member, and she's now an alternative member. Um, also, Kim Yong-chul, um, he did not get into the secretariat, uh, which returned, uh, replacing executive policy council. Um, the secretariat, uh, during Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il, it was very important. The secretary in charge of South Korea affairs, it was a very high ranking, but it seems uh, Kim Yong-chul being not in the secretariat sort of shows that inter-Korean relations and, as I mentioned, U.S. relations, they are not being prioritized prioritized right now. Um, Kim Yong-chul is now only the UFD director, United Front Department Director, and Chang Char is out. Okay. Uh, Dr. Lankov, do we have any idea on the 
ideological direction of the Korean Workers' Party? Uh, has there been any shift in uh, ideology or any transformations? Um, the questioner here says that they know you are of the belief that Juche is nothing, but how can nothing evolve and change with each party Congress? Well, I was growing up in the Soviet Union where uh, every time we were talked by a new Congress and we have just socialism, establish socialism, develop socialism, but it had little impact on the presence of sausages in the nearby shop or on the attitude to economic planning. It was a kind of another universe. Uh, and basically, it's uh, same is applicable to North Korea. But right now, judging by the stuff they published, and they published only a fraction of what was actually discussed, they did not touch uh, ideology at all. Uh, and there is a general uh, kind of impression that uh, uh, the current leadership does not take ideology seriously. Well, it's applicable to their predecessors as well. They ceased to take ideology seriously long time ago, but they don't even pretend that they take ideology seriously. Uh, so we basically have the same stories about the greatness of the leaders, even though Kim Jong-un's decision to promote himself to the general secretary means that he demoted his own father, which is not a nice move, I would say. And it can be seen as a part of idea, somewhat dangerous to the ideological system. Common people, simple-minded common people are supposed to believe. But basically, I did not notice in the speech uh, anything new. It was just about greatness of the party. Very few references to, basically zero references to foreign ideas like Marxism, but it's not new. They stopped talking about it long time ago. They don't talk much about communism. It's about socialism, usually our style socialism, nation greatness and family greatness and so on. Uh, thank you, Dr. Lankov. Chad, we've got a couple of questions here on the economy, so I'll try and tie them together. First of all, do you believe that uh, Kim Jong-un's Jong designation as Secretary General intends to garner extra support in the face of the bad economic situation that North Korea is going through? Uh, also, how badly do you assess the economic situation to be as of now, uh, and what do you expect of the five-year plan? And tying into another question about the five-year plan, uh, is it a sign that we're moving away from marketization and towards greater centralization? Uh, and, and do you see there being a possibility of uh, increased um, confiscation of private savings by the North Korean government? Yeah, so on, on the title, um, well, I, I don't know if it's directly related to shore up his authority due to a failing economy. If anything, the trend we've seen since 2020 2020 has been a move towards a more collective style of rule. We saw more Politburo meetings last year than any prior year of Kim Jong-un's leadership combined. There was a regular occurrence. And, um, you know, this Congress is also now turning, it's almost like eight, seven or eight days long so far. So much longer than the Congress of 2016. Uh, more formality about these happening every five years. So I think in, in a way, it looks like he's trying to integrate the quote-unquote views and opinions of Workers' Party of Korea senior members to make them part of this story. So if there is more economic failure, he has lots of people to, to blame. Um, in terms of how the economy is faring, I mean, we've done a few stories on NK News um, from based on what we've been hearing from sources in Pyongyang, and it's not a pretty picture right now. What I found incredible about what Anke is talking about is that um, all of these plans require significant investment, and yet this is a country where a source um, sent me a photo last week of chocolate biscuits that don't contain any chocolate whatsoever. Um, the country is running out of sugar, uh, cooking oil, um toothpaste is very hard to obtain uh cocoa coffee any imported food stuff is basically extremely difficult to get right now due to the covid rules and north korea's response to this more self-reliance well we've heard this policy many times before and it doesn't work crude oil cannot be developed inside north korea very easily um, there are always going to be things that require external trade um, and so I think that I'm very worried about the, the prospects for the economy because as my colleague Peter Ward 
wrote on NK Pro in an analysis of the, 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 the details that we're seeing of this five-year economic plan, there's really nothing there that suggests anything that can uh, do more than at very best just keep this current performance continuing for the next five years or so. Uh, Chad, we have a, a question here from, uh, specifically I've been given permission to mention them, from recent podcast guest Marcus Galauskas. Hello to Marcus out there. What is the real prospect that worsening economic hardship will threaten either the party's grip on North Korea or Kim Jong-un's control on the party? Is this something that we see as actually worrying Kim? Uh, it's a good question and hard to, it's just hard to figure out where dissatisfaction uh, with food shortages, worsening quality of life, how that could articulate into something that threatens the leadership. Um, I don't see it happening for the foreseeable future. I think it's a short or medium-term risk. Um, after all, this is a, a leadership which has maintained power through a very bad famine during the mid-90s. Uh, Andre, do you have any ideas on this? Because I know this is something that you've, you've, you've sort of studied in closer detail. It's basically difficult to say whether he worries or not about it. I don't know. They basically, on balance, they understand that there is always a threat about internal disturbances. It's noticeable that they are paying more attention, even more attention, every year more and more attention, to attempts to stop the spread of outside information. It was reported we had a smuggled speech from December by Kim Jong-un himself, who was talking about threat of the cultural influence about the decadent, decadent South Korean culture being spreading inside the country. So they understand that something is probably not very quite right. Question is whether it's a big issue for them or not, I don't know. Whether it's a big issue or not, objectively speaking, I don't know. But we can see what they were doing in the 1990s. When there was a massive starvation, they still continued to develop their nuclear program in a situation which was probably far worse than the current situation. And they Dr. ended Lankov, up... I'm afraid producing... I'm going to have to, uh, to cut you off there. Uh, we're we're yeah. close to almost having 10 minutes left. I'm yeah. going to have to ask everyone, all of our panelists, to keep their answers short because we still have lots of questions and more coming in. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I have a, a question for anybody who wants to answer this. How can North Korea balance... Uh, creating a crisis, getting America's attention on the one hand, with uh, not angering China on the other. Uh, perhaps, Ankit, uh, you could talk about that? Sure. Thanks, Jaco. Um, I think it really depends on the kind of action that they choose to take. Um, they have, for instance, always insisted that their space program is peaceful and civilian in nature, and that spacefaring is something that all peaceful nations on Earth should have access to. So if they did want to provoke the Biden administration, I'm not a big fan of that word, but we, we use it a lot in the North Korea space. Mm. Um, that could be one way to go instead of launching an ICBM out of the blue or God forbid, a nuclear test, mm -hmm. which certainly China and Russia would oppose. So I think uh, that's how the North Koreans, and, and you know they've been very good at this in the past with their political military campaigns. They understand that tests have both technical value internally, and they have political and diplomatic signaling value externally. And the way to calibrate that uh, is more art than science, but it's an art that the North Koreans, I think, understand quite well. We have a couple of questions uh, coming in about the possibility of there being a military parade on Sunday this week. Apparently, Yonhap is reporting uh, rumors that that might be happening. And a follow-up question about whether we might see a display of, of new weapons uh, in a parade of some kind. So, uh, Chad or Ankit, you can answer that one. Yeah, we heard from uh, our sources in Pyongyang about uh, troop movements on Sunday, loud noises, heavy machinery moving around. And so we... We were expecting something, but nothing has come to the fore yet. So it could have been a training um, event, uh, which is unusual uh, in Kim Il-sung Square. They don't usually do them there. Uh, or it may have been taped and the video is waiting to come out later today. We just don't know. But yeah, it's, it's quite strange. Uh, for the incoming Biden administration, do we know anything about the positions of the Biden administration with regard to future negotiations with North Korea? Are they open to abandoning CVID? And are there any channels of communication, people who have been involved in 1.5 or track two uh, discussions with North Korea in the lead up to the Biden administration? I can jump uh, in on that. As please. The, uh, I guess the Americans sitting here. Um, the... Yeah, I mean, I mean, that is the million dollar question for the North Koreans. Is, is this going to be the administration after 30 years uh, to change the fundamental U.S. negotiating position that 
Kim Jong-un has to turn up the keys to his nuclear kingdom in order to receive any benefits or inducements. Uh, the answer to that is indeterminate. Uh, what will happen is that the Biden administration will come into office and carry out a policy review, just as, just as the Trump administration did. Um, on, on the nuclear policy agenda generally, I think Iran and extension of New START with Russia are going to be very much top agenda items uh, through much of February. Um, but ultimately, I think uh, this is going to be um, something that we see. I think we know from the Democratic primaries uh, here in the United States that there is a more, uh, there is a larger intra-democratic party debate about how we should handle North Korea. There are people who think that policy should not be changed because of perverse incentives for other proliferators and the non-proliferation regime uh, versus realists who uh, take Dr. Lankov's warnings to heart and recognize that North Korea is going to possess its nuclear arsenal, uh, if not forever, for a very long time. Uh, so I think we'll just have to wait and see how this shakes out. Um, you know, I think my views are pretty clear. I tend to side with the realists on this one. And uh, I'm not going to rule out that the Biden administration uh, will make no change. Uh, so let's uh, let's see where they come out. Uh, Jongmin, I believe you have something to say on this. Yeah, I think we have to also uh, kind of consider what North Korea is thinking about what Biden is thinking. Um, until now, uh, until the party Congress, we have to, I think I should mention that North Korea has ha had not responded to the to Biden's win and neither about the election itself. This hinted that North Korea was being very careful about signaling the United States so far. But they kind of decided that they want to make a roundabout message using this party Congress. Um, but we shouldn't undermine the fact that these party Congress readouts are being read by domestic public. It's not just for the United States. It's also about how they handle United States, how they handle the United States, and how they have to explain it to the domestic public. It would have been very diff uh, difficult for a North Korean party to explain how Trump Trump is gone now after all those time and energy spent um, with Kim Jong-un meeting Donald Trump in Singapore and Hanoi and how they failed to come up with a deal that would help their um, economic prospects become better. And I think that's why they reverted back to these uh, rhetorics like biggest main enemy hostile policy. It's not just because they want to show Washington they think of them that way, but also to show their domestic public that they are reverting back to their old positions about how they are the main enemy and how they are going to not going to uh, like concede first, like Kim Jong-un may have been thinking during Hanoi or Singapore. Basically, I think it's also um, showing that because they have their domestic um, pending issues as well, including the public's uh, opinion about the party leadership's performance, um, I think that sort of influenced the rhetoric about, about the United States too, and also their position. And it seems right now, it seems Biden has to be the first one to make a move rather than North Korea. I think they have too much in stake. Uh, Chad, have, was there any discussion of environmental issues like climate change? Uh, and were there any discussions on new cyber policies or cyber developments out of the Congress? Uh, I've got to say, I, I wasn't reading those areas particularly closely. I've been mainly focused on the foreign policy, econ and inter-Korean. Okay, um, we've got lots more questions to go through. Uh, can we discuss the return of the Korean Workers' Party Secretariat replacing the Executive Policy Bureau and the new party regulations that increase the flexibility for convening future Politburo and uh, CMC meetings? Well, uh, basically, I would say that we should not pay too much attention to the change of the name uh, because we have to remain, keep in mind that the change of the name was back to basically the return to pre-2016 situation to some extent. They are changing names quite frequently, and uh, I would not read too much uh, basically from this change of the labels. The new functions of the permanent committee is something interesting, however, uh, and it's important that it has been explicitly stated. The best and probably the only rational explanation is that they expect situations when Kim Jong-un will be unwilling or more likely unable to preside over frequent meetings of Politburo. So it was officially stated, I just have to re repeat for those who didn't pay attention, they stated that a member of a permanent committee, there are five such people now, uh, any of them can be preside over a regular Politburo meeting. 
which is usually supposed to be presided by Kim Jong-un himself. And now it's official that somebody else can do it. And it's probably a sign that there are some problems with Kim Jong-un. Maybe he's losing interest in politics, but far, far more likely, it's another indirect indication of the sad and worrying fact that he has serious health problems. Uh, because his absence for three months this year, last year, no matter what the South Korean government tell you, uh, was clearly an indication of something going wrong. So they decided to create an institution which will help, which will basically handle the situation when leader is sick without attracting too much attention to it. Uh, Chad, we've got a, a few questions coming in about North Korea's relationship with China, which was hailed in Kim Jong-un's report. Um, is there a red line uh, which China would intervene in North Korea's internal politics, given that they control the North Korean economy? And what are the possibilities of the US and China coming to some agreement on uh, uh, pressuring North Korea if it makes a uh, uh, quote-unquote provocation? Well, from what we know in 2017, it would seem that the red line would, the absolute red line would be more nuclear weapons testing, um, especially of high-yield uh, warheads, uh, such as the one that was tested, I think it was September 2017, where there were earthquakes felt in Yanji and damage to structures. Uh, that, that was, uh, you know, not well received in, in China. Um, ICBM testing, I, I don't know how they'd feel about that. But, um, you know, th just in general, this Congress comes amid a warming, a really warming period of China. North Korea relations. We've seen Xi Jinping already write to Kim Jong-un in the last 24 hours to congratulate him on his new title. Um, if you look at foreign countries mentioned in this Congress, 2016, we had you know, all sorts, 130 journalists, diplomats from Pyongyang were all attending. Um, and this year, it's only socialist countries, uh, Cuba, Laos, Vietnam, and China. So I think that also gives some hint of where China, North Korea sees its foreign policy direction. So I think it's going to have to really balance carefully with its interest in pushing forward these programs and also maintaining those relationships. Uh, Dr. Lankov, any word on North Korea-Russian relations? Because uh, Russia did not get mentioned much, um, but you know, Kim Jong-un has also had his summit with Putin. So what, what can we say about the current state of Russia-North Korea relations? Uh, basically, uh, Russia tends to follow China. It will be a minor exaggeration to say that currently Russian policy towards North Korea is decided in China. Uh, because the major goals are same, both China and Russia are status quo power, powers. They don't, want, they don't want dramatic changes. They don't want crisis inside North Korea. They don't like North Korean nuclear ambitions, but it's a rather secondary issue and they sort of tacitly understand that Osgari is going to remain nuclear for the foreseeable future and nothing can be done about it. However, for Russia, interests, interests are the same with China, but stakes are much lower. Uh, for China, it's a historically closely connected country located close to the major urban centers. For North Korea, it's, uh, sorry, for Russia, North Korea is a country far, far away. Uh, yes, technically it has a border with Russia, but it's a border with a distant, sparsely populated part of Russia, very distant. So basically it's nat natural that Russia follows China and unlike China, not willing to pay much. It's a difference I ask everybody to keep in mind. Russia can smile broadly, give maybe some money, some support, but never, never it will ever come close to the amount of money and resources China is going to commit. Uh, Chad, COVID-19 situation in North Korea. What have we learned from the conference and about the likelihood of vaccines going to North Korea? We've learned nothing about vaccines, but we've seen some very strange behavior or inconsistent behavior surrounding mask wearing. All that, you know, 7,000 participants and observers in the April 25th House of Culture for this event. On the way in, they're seen wearing masks. On Once they get in, they take the masks off. Kim Jong-un has been there for the, for the last several days. Uh, for the meetings that were reported in today's North Korean newspaper, he wasn't there and everyone's wearing masks again. So frankly, I don't know what that means. I'm not a scientist, but it seems very inconsistent to me. We do know, however, that they're, they're, they've signed up for this COVAX UN initiative to get free vaccines for 20% of the population, but no further details on that yet. 
Is it all over now uh, in Pyongyang, Chad, or are there still events no. happening? It's still ongoing. Uh, no sign of when it's going to end. Chongmin? Uh, uh, actually, all the agenda that they uh, they they set out for, that's all done. But um, looking at the 2016 precedent, we still have a couple of events left, like the final decision uh, document, which they are still working on through sector by sector committee discussions yesterday, it seems. Um, and we still don't have Kim Jong-un's closing remarks. And in 2016, the day after Kim Jong-un delivered the closing remarks, they had they held a mass rally. And these were all reported on the same day afterwards. Um, so we're still looking forward to that. It's not over. Do we expect him to read out his closing remarks in person, live? I mean, if they already did it at, at midnight, um, he could have done that, but um, it's pretty unclear. But last time he did uh, deliver some sort of remarks, but this time it's really not, it's really unclear because they have broken from the 2016 precedent uh, already a lot by dragging this on for more than a week now. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap it up there. We've gone a little bit over one hour. I'd like to thank all of our four panelists, Chad O'Carroll, Ankit Panda, Jongmin Kim, Andre Lankov. Thank you to everybody who tuned in from around the world, and especially all those who asked questions. I'm sorry to those whose questions I was not able to get to. There were far more than we could have imagined. If you're listening to us uh, later on the podcast, please subscribe to NK News. And if you already subscribed to NK News, consider a subscription to NK Pro. Thanks once again, everybody, and listen again next time. Mm-hmm.